Big Fluff. Nineteen eighty shovel head. I ran one of those things into the ground. It'll probably be the relay, son. Who you call a son? Oh, your gals, huh? Gals? Come on, old timer. We're dykes on bikes. No shit. <laughs> okay, well. So, you think that's the issue, the relay? It's a good early check. It'll be the relay. Thanks, Pops. Welcome, Dykes. Hey, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And... We are looking at failed Oscar bait, and I think we just have to ask ourselves one question. Do we feel lucky? Not after watching this. No, no, not at all. Uh, we watched uh, The Mule. Yeah, we did. Clint Eastwood's The Mule. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it, I don't think there was ever any Oscar buzz associated with this movie, but I feel like every movie that Clint Eastwood has directed post like 95 has been Oscar bait in some way, shape or form. Well, I think he certainly <laughs> thought it was going to get nominated. I don't think it was ever in serious contention, but I think there are some reasons that it's a good fit for this month. I mean, you got Bradley Cooper back in here who obviously was nominated for an Oscar for a Clint Eastwood movie. That's true. Uh, and then you have uh, just the... You know, like the overall vibe of it is very, you know, I mean, everything Clint Eastwood's done. I mean, he's back with Michael Pena, who uh, was Million Dollar Baby. And like all of the movies, those movies all got super Oscar buzz. So he definitely put the gang back together thinking this is going to be uh, like those. The screenwriter of Gran Torino, which also had a bunch of Oscar buzz. Right. So it's it's for sure he you have to think that Eastwood. He was swinging. He and and. Arguably, this is going to be the last movie he directs. I don't think he's directed anything since. Uh, no, but, you know, I mean, we can hope. We can hope and pray that he does more because it's really only halftime in America. So, you know, it was still two more quarters to play. <laughs> oh, you magnificent bastard. <laughs> well, we should set up and normally you and I at this point would describe the plot. But uh, but. Two other white comedians did it better. They did. Uh, I also think they enjoyed this movie more than you and I did. Oh, but. if this clip is any indication, they enjoyed it substantially more than you, you and I did. But yes, uh, people may remember this. This was Pete Davidson and John Mulaney from SNL talking about this movie when it came out. This movie was, I dare say... Yes, say it. The greatest. Weirdest. Most bananas movie ever made. About a nine-year-old drug mule. You remember when uh, Clint Eastwood uh, berated an empty chair at the Republican National Convention? It's like if that was a movie. <laughs> so in The Mule. The Mule. The Mule. Clint stars as Earl, a wildly popular botanist. Flower man. Yeah. <laughs> who, after falling on hard times, is hired as a drug mule. At age 90. 90. <laughs> By a Mexican drug cartel. Run by Andy Garcia. Who was rude to me at a Laker game once. I remember that. <laughs> this is true. 
And, yeah, and when we say he's a mule, uh, he drives drugs across state lines. You know, I was hoping I would get to see Clint Eastwood, like, you know, shove a condom of drugs up his ass, you know, which is like what real drug mules do. And what Pete did on our way to Denver. Yes. Because I forgot it was legal. I was just proud of you for using a condom for once. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, plowing uh, through, as they say. Uh, <clears throat> Clint Eastwood drives hundreds of kilos of drugs across the United States. And that's not the weird part. The weird part is that he is 90 and he is driving. <laughs> he is 90. When my grandma turned 90, we bribed the DMV to flunk her on her driving test, and they did it. Yeah. Why aren't you guys freaking out? He's old, okay? There's a scene where he's driving with, like, oh no hands, oh and he's, like, unwrapping an ice cream sandwich. He's, like singing jazz and stuff. It's insane. That's when we realized this was a superhero movie for old people <laughs> about a guy whose superpower is that he can drive unsupervised. Yeah, and he's, like, so good that the head of the drug cartel, played by Andy Garcia... Who was rude to me at a Laker game once. Yes, I remember that. Uh, it's true. Uh, he throws the mule a party for being their best driver ever. Fulfilling another elderly grandpa fantasy that a 90-year-old white man can do any job better than a Mexican, even when the job is Mexican drug trafficking. Yeah. Oh, yo, we also forgot to mention, 90-year-old yes. Clint Eastwood has two threesomes in this movie. And he directed it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That that says it all, folks. So we'll see you next week. Yeah, the silver lining was that clip. We did it. Yeah, a hundred percent. We did it. Um, they make this movie sound delightful. Yeah, I have to say, interest of full disclosure, when we were planning this month out, we actually, I think this movie got floated, and then we both talked about the fact that we're like, well, the you know, Mulaney and and Pete Davidson talked about it. Would we just be? retreading what they did can we be better than what they did or you know whatever and so that's one why we played the clip but then two when we actually watched it i was like well i had a very different experience from what they did and that is not how i would in any way describe my experience watching this movie and i would say that nothing they said was inaccurate they just enjoyed it way more they just enjoyed it way more no that is um, a absolutely stone cold accurate description of the plot i think the only thing that they missed that they probably did not know that i didn't know until we were researching this is that this is based on a true story yes a man named leo sharp was an 87 year old drug mule for the sinaloa cartel yeah and the only thing that they i mean they changed a lot but i'm like fundamentally uh they put it in present day of 2018 when it came out versus i think it was like 2011 that he was arrested something like that um to, and and that leo sharp was a world war ii veteran and uh earl is a korean war veteran so five years later makes all the difference well yeah i mean if you're shifting the timeline by 10 years then that is gonna change <laughs> Uh, what war he was a veteran of. But yeah, the the real guy was a botanist. I don't know if he had two threesomes in real life. Uh, I do, because, you know, I do that kind of research for us. Did he? No. Oh. He had Let's... seven threesomes. Wow. That's like 121-some. Way to go, mathlete. Yeah. That was, that's, that's the kind of math I couldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. Basic multiplication. Uh, but 
I mean, they set up the plot. I think the threesomes is as good of a place as any to start since they brought it up. Yeah, I guess the only thing they actually did leave out is some of the family drama that was sort of central to the movie. Yeah, which we should get into because I I have a lot of thoughts on that. But look, they said there were two threesomes and let's just get this out of the way. There There were, were two threesomes. There were two threesomes, but they were both super weird and... I don't even, neither one was even an actual sex scene. There was one where two women walked into his hotel with him and closed the door and we saw it from outside. And the other one was really weird. He was like laying down in the bed at the party that Andy Garcia threw him and one of the women took her top off and then gracefully, thankfully, the best decision that uh, Clint Eastwood made as a director was then we cut there. Yeah, it was. Uh... So, like, did he buy prostitutes? Is that why he had that threesome? The first one in the hotel room? Well, that's that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up, too, is that it, they all seem like sex workers, like all of the, the women that he had threesomes with. But the first one is so weird because the second one makes sense, I, I guess. It's not necessary, but at least I can track, as they, they said in that clip, Andy Garcia is real happy with the job that he's doing so that he rewards him by sending two women up to his room uh, to party with him, we'll say. But the other one is just when he's drug muling and he's being watched by, I don't know if he's the Andy Garcia's son, but he's clearly like a family member or someone, uh, someone that's high up in the, in the cartel, but not the boss boss. But he's, he's clearly family to the boss and he's in like an heir to the, throne of the empire so to speak but he is sent to keep an eye on him to decide if he's going to be their main drug mule and he's watching him from his hotel room and he just watches two women walk into the room it's very weird and it's nonsensical and he does like a nod like yeah you go Earl I don't know if that means we're supposed to think he sent them I don't know or he's just proud of Earl for taking care of business as a 90 year old man I guess, but it's very strange. Those scenes are very strange. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Yeah. And so there's that. But there's also just uh, I think. Before we get into the family drama stuff, too, one of my biggest problems with this movie is Earl is just not a developed character. No, he has not like he has. No strong motivation. And I mean. Just the way he becomes a drug mule is that at this party that he wasn't expected to be at, some low-level cartel guy is like, hey, would you want to be a drug mule? And he's like, yes, I would like to be a drug mule. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and, that's, but, and then he was a drug mule. Because the the only setup that happens before that is, again, he is a botanist. and And this is based on the real article from what I was reading, but... The internet came along, and so 87 and or 90-year-old botanist's business of selling flowers directly to people sort of went away overnight once people could reliably and easily order stuff off the internet. I mean, I guess you could say that this is really a cautionary tale about uh, a 90-year-old man not adapting to a changing internet landscape and being able to sell his flowers online but basically that's what happens he runs out of money they're foreclosing on his house he has a beat up old truck and yeah then 
in the most just random it's so weird because yeah he shows up at this family event where he's clearly not welcome because his family is because he was sort of a absentee father yeah he was always on the road selling flowers i guess and yeah he he has an ex-wife and his his real daughter who plays his daughter in the movie uh they're all sort of fed up with him but he shows up at the wedding and uh well because he the what the last straw is that he goes to his like lifetime achievement award thing instead of his daughter's wedding yes and that's when diane weist divorces him and the his daughter says that she doesn't want him in his life but then he tries to show up again for his granddaughter's wedding or wedding shower something or other yeah and then he gets offered the job of being a drug mule yeah, which also those I guess it's like a second wedding for his daughter because they're only like 12 years apart. The two weddings, I think. I yeah, I think I think that the wedding that we see in the movie is his daughter or it's her first marriage and she had the granddaughter out of wedlock. But also, yeah, well, that's true. But either way, like just to be clear, he he's maybe 80 when he doesn't show up to the first wedding. Right. He's he is already very much elderly there's no the irishman de-aging of him he just he looks the same age no he he just looks the same craggy faced clint eastwood but uh but yeah so he's he's on the outs with his family and he he tries to show up at the granddaughter's wedding or reception whatever like party to celebrate her wedding before the actual event and yes some cartel low-level guy is there and he like sees him get kicked out and it's like, hey, I'm a plot device, so uh, want to run drugs? Guy I don't know, who everyone seems to hate and isn't being presented as in any way reliable? You want a job? <laughs> Where reliability is very key. Yeah, and I'm going to vouch for you even though we've never met before and you could easily now turn me into the police? So that's a setup. Yeah, that's what happens. But then, yeah, so he he drug mules and it. Yeah, it basically he just drives his own vehicle. He picks up drugs and he drives them to another location. And the idea is that because he's an old white man, which I mean, is not a bad idea. And it clearly no, the real it, cartel that actually did it. part tracks. Yeah, it, it's the idea that an old man, an old white guy wouldn't the police wouldn't look at him twice if he had a bunch of drugs. Right. In the back of his truck. And there's even the scene where the police pull him over. The dog clearly notices the drugs and he's like, ah, that dog. Well, he uh, he rubs like icy hot or something on his hands to throw off the dog from sniffing the the back of his truck and then plays it off of like, I'm petting your dog. And the police officer's like, don't pet my dog. And then there's another scene where a different cop is about to bust him and he gives him kettle corn. (laughs) Yep. So the lesson to be learned, folks, if you want to throw the police off your trail, salty and sweet snacks. Yeah. Carry some icy hot and some kettle corn. That's all you need. I mean, longtime listeners of this podcast will know that we're never found without our kettle corn and icy hot. Yeah. Well, I learned that from 99 Problems from Jay-Z. It's the they cut that verse ultimately, but there was a kettle corn icy hot verse. Those are problems uh, 74 and 23. Yeah, it's right after he says that the when the canine are going to come to sniff his car, then that's how he gets out of it. Because you might have wondered that listening to that song. How does he get out of it? Same way. And then he goes and has a threesome. 
It's the a lot of this movie was inspired by the with sex time. workers purchased by the Sinaloa drug cartel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this movie is just freaking dull. It's man. weird, but we should mention we just decided to do this movie, and the cartel sent us two sex workers each. Mm-hmm. It's just their thing, I guess. I guess that's what they do. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like it's just that's their their go to. You know, you got to have a calling card, I guess. Yeah. But it was it was nice. I mean, I just, you know, got to use the carpool lane and I, you know, a la Larry David. Yeah. And I just, you know, drove them to Dodger Stadium. There you go. Yeah. And man, I. I will say. That I like Clint Eastwood as a filmmaker in general. He's a little hit or miss for me, but I'd say more hit than miss. Um, like Million Dollar Baby, I loved up until the third act. Yeah, Million Dollar Baby, I never want to watch again. But I, no. I, it was, I wouldn't say I liked it, but it was compelling to watch yeah. once. Mystic River is a truly phenomenal film. Although the book is better, but I mean, I would probably say that about most books. That's like most things, yeah. Yeah. But like Mystic River is a great movie. Um, I really liked his two, uh, Pacific Theater of World War Two movies. Uh, you know he does a you, lot. He does a lot. A history teacher liked that. I know. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> uh, crazy that I liked uh, both uh, Sands of Iwo Jima and I forget what the other one was called, but um, but yeah, uh, like I think he does make a lot. But then you know, there's some other stuff. Like I wasn't blown away by Gran Torino personally, and I know a lot of people like it. No, and I, I would say the things I didn't like about this movie were the same things I didn't like about Gran Torino, which was just the, well, the old man is racist, which I mean, sure. Yeah, statistically yeah. he is, but it just feels it's kind of the same way that a lot of times Quentin Tarantino bothers me with this, too, where it's like, I mean, are you making a point? Or are you just having white characters say really terrible things? Yeah. Like, you wrote that character of Jimmy in Pulp Fiction for yourself to play. Well, and in both cases, the person who wrote the white guy saying the bad things is the person saying them, which is a little suspect. And again, he yelled at a chair, as Mulaney pointed out at the yeah. RNC. So I yeah. question him a little bit in general. Um. Yeah. So, and like, there are a lot of like his soft focus that everything is shot in always kind of bugs me. Yeah, uh, it's it, like it's a his like camera work is very laconic and slow, which I think in some movies really adds to the mood, but in others just makes it dull. This being the latter. Well, I was telling you before we started, I mean, I think for me, this movie in a lot of ways feels like a boring version of heat because we haven't talked about the fact that uh, there's a sort of B plot line that obviously intersects with the A plot line, which is that Bradley Cooper and Michael Pena are uh they they jam up eugene cadero like it's really a who's who of actors you know like like i was very excited to see eugene cordero and and michael pena that gets to another thing is like there are at least a half a dozen fantastic actors that are utterly wasted in this movie right but but yeah sorry I, I set that up to say that bradley cooper is playing the dea agent him and michael pena that they're trying to close in on the cartel and they, they eventually 
discover Clint Eastwood. Uh, and, and there's even a scene a la Heat where we get Bradley Cooper and Clint Eastwood in a diner together and they're having a conversation. Now, granted, the difference is Bradley Cooper has no, they don't have either, neither one of them knows, who, knows who the other is. Knows who but the other one he, is. Obviously, that scene, even though, like, and I like Heat a lot more than you do, Joel, but like, that scene is interesting because, like, they both know exactly who they are. But you also know that, like, Michael Mann's like, wait a minute, De Niro and Pacino don't have a scene together. Let's write that in quick. Right. And then it's, it, it is the best scene in that movie. I, yeah, I don't love Heat as much as other people do, but there's some great stuff in that. And that scene is really good. That and like the the high scene is effing awesome. Well, and that part where Al Pacino says, because she had a great ass. Great ass. And you had your head all the way up it. I mean, that scene is cinema. Gold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I think that it. It had the dynamic of heat in that we're following both the criminal and the cop closing in on him without any of the tension. Yeah. Where it just felt breezy and and all their interactions were pleasant and there was no tension. There wasn't actually a tension that they would get that he would get caught because, again, we were aware that Bradley Cooper had no idea who he was. Right. And like it didn't even seem like when. Uh, Bradley Cooper arrested the like juiced up a hole in the motel. It didn't seem like when Clint Eastwood put two and two together that they were actually looking for him. No, he thought that that guy, I think he maybe thought Bradley Cooper arrested the guy that was mean to him for him. Like did him a solid. Yeah, it might've been. Um, but yeah. And like Clint Eastwood doesn't even realize he's in danger of being arrested until he's like 12 feet away from the roadblock. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole. So also, we got to talk about the end because, well, and we we got to talk, man, there's so much to talk about in this movie that it didn't seem like much happened. But uh, yeah, we we get the end scene where he is arrested and it, it happens seemingly out of nowhere. They finally figure out who he is and they arrest him. But it also what ends up happening is that. You know, before, as you said, he he chose to skip his daughter's wedding to go be named botanist of the the year or whatever he was named. And uh, then at the end, he finds out that his ex-wife is dying and decides to go to her, which good instincts. I understand sort of the pair, you know, you're doing this where he started and where he ended. Now he realizes that it is important to be there for family, but he doesn't with the drugs still in his truck. He just doesn't finish the run with the drugs, which then the cartel rightfully. So look, I'm not often going to defend the cartel, but kind of understandable that they're like, um, Hey, you said do this. Yeah. We told you to do this and you didn't, we put drugs in your car. You got to drive it to the place. And he didn't, he didn't do it. That's like his whole thing. Cause if a drug mule is nothing else, they drive the drugs to the place. Right. And it seemed to me, that he could have done that and then gone to see her. It didn't seem like an either or because she was in the hospital. And I guess you could say that you didn't know how much time she had left, but you're just driving to a place. So just drive there and then go fly to see her. One would think. Yeah, you're already on the way. To do it. So that seemed weird. And then he upsets the cartel and they just beat him up. They're pretty nice, all things considered. Pretty well, yeah, because, you know, they do realize that 
it's not like he just bailed on them is that he had a reasonable excuse which is how they work you know they they talk a big game but if you can offer a valid excuse if you have if you produce a doctor's note yeah well you get a certain amount of sick days as a mule you know right that um and i mean granted this was uh two sick days and a personal day which you do have to have special permission for if you're going to talk, if you're going to get PTO as a drug mule, then you have to like schedule in advance. There's a whole process. What I always say, whatever your job is, you know, if you uh, if you're a line cook, if you're a driver, if you're a drug mule, whatever it may be, uh, don't no call, no show. No, the the worst thing you can do in any place where you're expected to be is no call, no show. No, it's it's unprofessional. You know, it's irresponsible and it's rude. It's rude. And it's really hard to find coverage, as you can see. You know, they have other mules, but they need notice. You know, they have lives, too. Right. So shame on you, Earl. And also, you know, you get that Slack chat going with the other mules. I know he wasn't great at texting, but, you know, you if you need coverage, maybe you, you hit up one of the other mules and are like, hey, really sorry about this but uh Some last minute emergency my ex-wife who doesn't like me is dying and i want to go see her yeah because she's gonna be nice to me inexplicably no <laughs> it would have been great if she was like no look this doesn't change anything yeah no just hit the road jack because funny, I... funny you should say that but uh i do hit the road for a living now <laughs> anyway you want a kilo of cocaine will that help <laughs> <laughs> Diane Weiss is like, you know what? I mean, sure. Yeah, hey, let's let's roll. Let's bring the '80s back, baby. Let's hit the slopes. <laughs> Ski down these rails, baby. But uh, but yeah, I, I think there's there's that too. Of yeah, so we've kind of covered like why he was persona non grata with his family, but he in no way earns his way back into their good graces, except through money. He does pay for the drinks at his granddaughter's wedding, but he doesn't right. really make a pays for her to go to school. And yeah, he, he basically, I guess the message is that he makes up for it with money that just, he buys their love in the end. You know, if that's, if there's a lesson to be learned is that there is a price you can put on love and it's, um, an tuition at a second rate beauty school and an open bar at their wedding. Cause nothing says love like free well drinks. Yeah, he did. I mean, there's a question. I don't know. Maybe you know the rate. It seemed like he was making a lot of money as a drug mule. Like, really, easy. like they paid him a lot for these drives. Yeah. Now, as an employee of in the public education system, I've oftentimes looked for alternate income streams. Mm -hmm. I have not looked into drug muling. Well, that's because you haven't been kicked out of a wedding by your ex-wife yet where uh, a cartel member comes up and offers you the job. That's the only way to get in. That's a fair point. That is, I have not gone in that very specific scenario yet. You also have like 50 years until they're going to recruit you. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. it, it, I can't wait. Yeah, you're going to be great at it, man. I think you're really going to love it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited for 50 years from now when I can start drug mealing. Yeah, it's, it's an old man's game. It is. It is. It is an elderly gentleman's game. And by then, I mean, 50 years from now, the cars will drive themselves. Right. So they just need someone to be in that car. Yeah. Listen and to why podcasts. can't I be that guy? Yeah. You yeah. get in there and do your audio books. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll still be listening to um, Ain't That a Kick in the Head. Yeah, that's what you do. Great song. 
It is. I do look. I mean, maybe we're getting towards the silver linings, but it was pretty great that the the guys following him had to listen in to all of his karaoke and his carpool karaoke that he's doing with him and the yeah. drugs. Um. Yeah. The. <sighs> I think my least favorite scene in the movie. And I think this is, I can leave it here before I pivot, is the scene at the second-rate beauty school graduation ceremony <laughs> when he just, like, so blatantly, like, puts his arm out with that dumbass bracelet just to, like, be like, I've got a gold bracelet. It's and it's weird. just so, it's so dumb. And, like, if anything makes the fact that he paid for things less redeeming because he's, like, just flaunting how much cash he has. Yeah. He's not a very subtle drug mule. Like, no, it's crazy. I think Bradley Cooper must not be good at his job because I don't think it was hard to identify that it was him. He He's not subtle in any way. And he, it gets real chummy with the cartel members and like, you know, shows up places that he's not supposed to, that you would think that the DEA might be watching. Yeah. Um, but I think that like the other the only other thing to malign officially and it might even be in the liminal space is there are a lot of actors I really like in this movie that don't do anything like Michael no. Peña and Diane Weist. Yeah, two of my favorites. Like I love both of them. Uh, and- Diane Weist has a little bit more to do than uh Michael Michael Peña I think has six lines. Yeah, well, it's weird because he's Bradley Cooper's partner, but clearly, I guess, because they had worked together. Well, I mean, he had worked with Michael Pena before, too, but I guess because of the American sniper love that the two of them had, Bradley Cooper got all of the dialogue. Yeah, all of the lines. And it's just essentially like Michael Pena is there so someone so that Bradley Cooper has an eye line to say all of his dialogue. And Michael Pena literally, I don't think he has anything but incidental dialogue. No, he's sort of just the other guy in the room when they're shaken down, Eugene Cordero. You know, he's, yeah. he's there, too. I It's not even defined enough to say one's a good cop and one's a bad cop, but he's just the other he's just, cop. He's just it's. Uh, there's a better pun, but I don't know what it is, but it's something cop Brad cop, and I don't know what the first part is. Yeah, I mean, good I'm cop. mad at myself. Good, good cop, cop Brad, Brad cop. cop. Yeah. It's good cop, Brad cop. That's what it is. Also, what a missed opportunity for Michael Pena to either on purpose or accidentally do some of that cocaine and then recap everything like he does in (laughs) Ant-Man. Please. Please. But yeah, uh, Eugene Cordero also under like what a delightful fellow. Well, and again, another guy that's a plot device where you actually had a compelling narrative with Eugene Cordero of. He's the guy they jam up who's giving them all the information, but we never really see him have to then go back and hang out with everybody else. We never see him like interacting with right. Clint Eastwood or any of the other guys. He's kept completely separate from them. Yeah. And fun fact, I've done karaoke with Eugene Cordero. <laughs> that is a fun fact. Where did that happen? Uh, at the Philadelphia Improv Festival. Nice. What'd you guys sing? Um... I sang Minnie the Moocher, and uh, I remember that Paul F. Tompkins sang Life on Mars by David Bowie. I forget what Eugene Cordero sang. Hmm. But yeah, he's he's delightful. He's, he's great, and he's a good actor, and um, and you know, it's he. But he's 
on a long list of like Taysa Farmiga is also a very good actress and she doesn't really have anything to do in this. I would also venture to guess that if there are blooper reels or unused footage of Eugene Cordero and Michael Pena just interacting between setups on camera, they're better than this movie. Almost certainly. I yeah. have no doubt about that. If they're just goofing around while they're setting up the camera, I bet it's hilarious. Yeah. I'm sure it's because they're both just Michael Pena seems like a delight. He really does. Yeah, I'm a big fan of him. I was very sad that he's not in the new Ant-Man. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, he, I guess because it's mostly in the quantum realm, there wasn't really room for him. But you make room for Pena. Yeah. Well, I mean, I yeah, I could have written him in. I think we could have found the space of it's just they're all in the quantum realm. And then someone comes looking. You. This is where you get. You know, one of the other Marvel characters, you know, Dr. Strange shows up to find Ant-Man or something and it's just Pena's there. And then it's like, yeah, it's like, where is what happened to Scott Lang? And then he has to tell him. And now we get the recap. Yeah, that's all we wanted. Right. But, um, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, because we'll I'm sure we based on the reviews, we might be talking about Quantum Mania on this podcast Weird. at some point. We could definitely talk about it. People hated that movie. Yeah. Um, anyways, so real quick before we pivot that they wanted the Breaking Bad Better Call Saul ending. They wanted the Walter White saying, I did it because I loved it confession or the the Jimmy McGill. No, like I'm going to confess to everything. I was instrumental in Walter White's gang. Send me to prison. They wanted that ending, but it felt so unearned in this movie. Yeah, because basically, I mean, it is pretty funny. His lawyer is just like, he's a doddering old man. He didn't know what he was driving. And he's like, no, no, I, I did it. All. I want to go to jail. I'm, I'm old and I, I got nothing. I deserve to serve my time for my crime. <laughs> I don't want to be unforgiven. I got to show my. No, he didn't do primary colors. Sorry. Did he even do Unforgiven or did he do Tombstone? He did do under. He did do un- Unforgiven. Yeah. I was Unforgiven is, a gr- Unforgiven is a great movie. There's something in my brain where it's like I thought he did it, and then when I said it, I was like, or was it Tombstone? I couldn't no, remember. It was, which it was one Unforgiven. Did. Tombstone, yeah. another great movie. But yeah. Um. But yeah, he. Uh, he's like, I need to be sent up the Mystic River. <laughs> Hey, uh, when you take me to jail, can you drive over the bridges of Madison County? And if I get a last song request, play Misty for me. (laughs) That one with the monkey that I did. Any which way but loose. There it is. (laughs) Um. I think we can pivot. Yeah, I think we can pivot. Um. It did have a lot of actors I like, and that made me smile. Um, I really liked Andy Garcia in this movie. It was a good Andy Garcia movie. Um, I liked like the way that he was just constantly uh, skeet shooting as like an intimidation thing with his golden rifle. Like that seems on brand for the leader of the Sinaloa cartel. Yeah, yeah, that he was just like all skeet skeet motherfucker. Yeah, from the windows to the wall. Yeah. No, but it was good That's you know, that seemed to be his thing. He he Andy Garcia the hell out of it. He did really Andy Garcia the hell out of that role. You know, this is the what second appearance of uh, Andy Garcia playing a tough after we did Godfather three. It's at least the second. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Michael Pena has shown up a couple of times mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, um, Wrinkle in Time and I think something else he was in. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He, I mean, that guy works. Yeah. He, he gets he's in a lot of movies and is always value added if you choose to give him value to add. You know, can I say that uh, I'm going to count this as a silver lining because we're thin on silver linings. You know, it's called the mule and obviously mules uh, make me think of donkeys. Stay with me. And uh, I think it's been 2022's, you know, we're doing this for Oscars, the, the 2023 Oscar, you know, the films that came out in 2022. They've been rough on donkeys, you know, the Banshees of Inishirin and uh, Triangle of Sadness. I won't spoil it, but things didn't go well for donkeys in either one of those. So I appreciate that a movie called The Mule, that no mules were harmed. Just want to put yeah. that out there. That's I think that that is our thinnest silver lining yet. And it's a movie involving an animal. I'm going to get thinner. And cocaine. And, uh, you know, no one. I mean, well, no, that one sounds awesome. Yeah, I wish it was yeah. Cocaine Bear. Yeah, I, I yeah, I wish I wish I wish we'd watched Cocaine Bear instead of The Mule. I think bizarrely, Cocaine Bear seems they've early reviews are to be trusted too beloved to do on this show. That I mean, that everyone's just I feel like everyone's just like you know what, screw it, I'm gonna love this movie. I don't care how dumb and bad it is. It's Cocaine Bear. I mean, not it's since cocaine Snakes Bear. on a Plane has the title sold the movie so hard. No, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, so I'm excited for Cocaine Bear. And now I think um, I did like the scene when they were grooving to ain't that a kick in the head. That was a fun bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we played it in the opening clip. It was weird and non sequitur, but I liked the dikes on bikes. The dikes on bikes was hilarious. I kept thinking they were going to come back. Like, I really thought they were setting something up that he befriended them. But that is its own short film. Of him yeah. diagnosing the problem with the motorcycles, learning about the LGBTQ community. Yeah, misgendering a bunch of uh, butch lesbians and then growing a little bit. Yeah, it seemed like he learned something it's by the end. the most end. character growth he had in the movie. I'd argue the only, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but but I did actually like that scene. That scene made me smile. Like, I enjoyed it. Well, no, the other growth he had is that uh, the reason he was such a deadbeat is that he didn't have enough money to buy their love. That's true. And then he did. Yeah. What was the... I liked the band, too, when he... What was it? The VFW oh, Hall? Box. Yeah. Yeah, he... It was the VFW, right? Or whatever that yes. it was that he... He renovated yeah, it was a with VFW his money. Hall that had, had fire damage and he renovated it. But I liked that band. Like, they were, they were fun. Yeah. Uh, the lead singer playing, like, every instrument at once. Which apparently they are a real band that yeah. uh, Clint Eastwood liked and invited to be on the set. So that was fun. Yeah. No, it was... Uh, that was a cool thing. Um, I, w- I want to say, too, I mean, this is not a silver lining, but again, I think the most important thing, if you're going to be uh, a mule for the cartel, I think we gave the best advice, you know, don't no call, no show. Yeah. Um, you know, get in contact. If you have to call out, call one. But I would also just say, I don't know anything about uh, living a criminal lifestyle, but I've seen a lot of movies and television shows. I would argue that. Maybe when you come into a lot of money like that, buying a new truck, paying off your mortgage, and then buying the VFW, paying for your granddaughter's college. Like, I guess he figured he was 90 and he didn't have a lot of time left, but I think they would normally tell you, 
don't flash that. I mean, that is good, fellas. Don't throw that much cash around immediately when right. your business is failing and you you're broke. Right. Like even uh, to use another Andy Garcia movie, uh, Ocean's Eleven, when he says, "If I find out any one of you ever uh, is out buying a Rolls Royce in the Hollywood Hills." Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's good advice is to, you know, if you come into a bunch of illicit cash, be judicious with said illicit cash. Yeah. Again, you got to at least like you one. He offers no explanation, no alternate explanation for where the money is coming from. You got to you got to find a way to launder it or like legitimize it, you know, make it run it through the flower business. So it looks like you're selling a lot of flowers. Well, right. And like you're just asking for an audit. Yeah, because like you can't purchase a home or pay off a mortgage without tax documentation. Again, I'm no expert and I don't know if this works, but it seems to me bare minimum, like just take the money that you're getting and uh, take a bunch of your flowers, just throw them in the dumpster and ring them up. Hey, look, people are buying a lot of flowers with cash. Yeah, but that seems like an easy launder. Yeah, like you have a business that that isn't doing well that you literally could launder the money through by Hell, just you could start a website. Yeah, yeah, and just purchase. Through, I mean, well, then you're getting into like a digital transaction, and he couldn't operate a flip phone, so he might not have been for him. That's fair. He seemed. I mean, I know he's ninety, but he seemed too doddering. In because again, they said it in 2018. In 2018. He doesn't know how to work a cell phone. I mean, I mean, at this point, cell phones have been around for 20 years plus. I, I mean, there were like giant Zach Morris cell phones in the 80s. And that's true. But I'm saying like they were like ubiquitous sort of starting in the late 90s, early aughts. Yeah, but 20 plus years of them being in everyone's lives. And he he looked at one like he had never seen a cell phone before in his life. Like, you mean that doesn't have a crank that I yell into? <laughs> How do I use it to send a telegram? <laughs> do I just throw it at the person I want to send a message to? I you know what I'm gonna say that it, it, how old man he was was a silver lining and I actually think they could have leaned into it more I think <laughs> if if there were more scenes of cartel members just being like look I know he's the best but come on he. He drove 20 miles with his left blinker on. Like, I just... <laughs> I, I, look, he keeps pocket dialing us. He doesn't even need to use the phone. And he's called my voicemail six times. Like, just... it's And it's always just him doing karaoke in the truck. It's always just him singing jazz standards. <laughs> Which is kind of sweet. But, it, you know, it, it really gets old. And it, it defeats the purpose of the disposable phones. Or if, like, he just fell in love with one modern artist the way, like, sometimes older people do. Yeah. Or like, even just more, you know, those two sex workers get sent up to his room and instead of having sex with them, he just shows photos of his grandchildren. And talks to them about slipcovers. And then he gives them each a crisp $5 bill in an envelope and sends them and, on their way. <laughs> and a Werther's original. <laughs> a Werther's original. And it's like, you, you sweet girls. Yeah, it was a little sweet treat for a couple of sweet gals. 
I think that's where it should. Maybe that is where it went, and that's where they, they didn't test well with audiences, and they're like, maybe we should cut the part where you give them the words. We should leave originals. it a little ambiguous. What happened with him and the sex workers? Maybe some audience members want to believe there might have been sex that happened, and he's like, I don't. Well, want no, that. There, there were there were three versions that were screened for test audiences. Uh, the one we saw in the movie, the one we just talked about with the five dollar bill and the Werther's original, and a graphic sex scene. Yeah. And that tested the worst. Yeah, it, it was definitely the longest, too. We're talking like Vincent Gallo, Brown Bunny levels of go- oh, God. graphic. Oh, God. For some reason, I keep I don't know if you ever saw the, the Nicolas Cage movie Drive Angry, which we could definitely do. Uh, September's not that far away. But we should do it for Nicolas Cage month. But I'm kind of almost picturing that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> also, I say heighten it. Have just have more women just come entering the room. He just has a ninesome. <laughs> They're like he's old. Just Andy Garcia keeps just like no, you go. No, it's like your keep, turn now. Keep it going. It's like no way can he keep going. It's like oh no. And then you just see the other cartel members are placing bets of like how long he's gonna go. But then you do that cut to now it's morning. The sun is out, and they're all kind of exhausted, and they're not even enjoying the bets anymore. And it's like. I don't know who else. Who else do we have that we can send? We send everyone. <laughs> and he just comes out smelling of caramel and crisp money. <laughs> They're like, "Do we have any more women to send?" No, send the mule. <laughs> and that's why it's called that. That's what we didn't even get. It's not drug mules, like everybody thought. There you go. I, I, uh, I will say. We've watched a lot of movies that are worse than this movie. Yeah, we have. Uh, but this was one of the more challenging. It is because it's just kind of nothing. Again, I I wish that I felt the way that Mulaney and Pete Davidson felt Me about too. it. Me too. I wish I felt about anything the way Mulaney and Davidson feel about this movie. Yeah, I mean, they sincerely loved it, and I feel like that love was pure. Yes, and genuine and not just a comedic bit. I feel like that was just very much their honest take on this movie. Because it's too niche to why would they have done it otherwise? It's not like they were called upon (laughs) to review it. It's like it's not like Lauren Michaels is like, you know, we need a a major bit about uh, the mule. It's that new movie that's sweeping the nation. Get me Mulaney. Finally, there's a movie about someone my age having the amount of threesomes that I have. We should talk about it. We should definitely do a bit about it. When I was summering with Eastwood up in the Hamptons, and <laughs> we talked about all the threesomes we'd had, I said you should put that in a movie. So let's let's get let's get John and Pete and see what they can do with it. And then we had a threesome with the two of us, <laughs> and John Mulaney and Pete Davidson <laughs> taking turns, obviously, because otherwise yeah, it would so be a foursome. Be a foursome, and that's that's not what we're talking about. I think you got a little Irish there at the end. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, not what, that's not what we're talking about. Oh, they kept holding pot of gold. We'll never. He's driving in. We got to give a pot of gold to the mule. <laughs> oh, you did so good at driving that I'm going to fondle your pot of gold. Oh, so I'll find what's at the end of the rainbow. Oh, it's give me, Bradley Cooper. Give me your lucky charms. This movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. This is Philip. 
and Katie and Bridget and we're three friends who like movies especially movies of yore when we were small and everything seemed awesome now we're revisiting these bright shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real so sit back and relax and revisit the best the worst and everything in between from the 80s and 90s and find out is it for real? real?